actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com slash MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BadlandsRanch.com slash MC901 today. When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I was working second shift at the time. I just got off work a little before 11 p.m., the normal time. A few of us would tend to stand around in the parking lot chatting for a few when we were done with work. It took time to wind down after a shift in the roughly 45-minute drive home, so it was not odd for me to still be up at 2 or 3 a.m. on most nights. I was woke up, which was early for me the next morning, from a phone call. It was my granddad. Brandon, turn on the news. We're under attack. That was the morning of September 11th, 2001. American 11, Boston. 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 American 11,
American 1-1, one, one, uh, the American on the frequency. How do you hear me? This is Adam. Uh, this is Boston. I turned American 20 left, and I was going to climb. He will not respond to me now. Oh, looks all. like he's turning right. Yeah, I turned him 20 right. Oh, okay. And he's only going to, uh, I think, 29. Okay. Left. Air traffic control out of Boston, trying to reach American Airlines Flight 11. American 11, if you hear Boston Center, I dent. Several attempts at raising American Flight 11 on the radio were unsuccessful. American Airlines emergency line, please state your emergency. Hey, this is Nitty American Airlines calling. I am monitoring a call in which Flight 11, the flight attendant is advising our reps that the pilot, everyone's been stabbed. Flight 11? They can't get into the cockpit is what I'm hearing. Okay, who's this I'm talking to? Excuse me, this is the American Airlines at the Raleigh Reservation Center. I'm the operations specialist on duty. I'm sorry, what was your name again? Nidia. Nidia. And what's your last name? Gonzalez, G-O-N-C-A-L-E-Z. Raleigh Reservations, okay. Now I'm the you... flight attendant on the line with one of our agents. Okay. And she's calling how? Through reservation. I can go in on the line and ask the flight attendant questions. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm assuming they've declared an emergency. Let me get ATC on here. Stand by. Got any contact with anybody? Okay, I'm still on with security, okay, Betty? You're doing a great job. Just, just stay calm, okay? We are, absolutely. Okay, we're contacting the flight crew now, and we're, all con uh, we're also contacting ATC. Okay. Anything else from the flight attendant? Um, so far, what I've got, the number five flight attendant's been stabbed, but she seems to be breathing. The number one seems to be stabbed pretty badly, and she's lying down on the floor. They don't know whether she's conscious or not. The other flight attendants are in the back, um, and that's as far as I know. It seems like the passengers in the coach might not be aware of what's going on right now. These two passengers were from first class. Okay, hold on. Hey, Betty, do you know any information as far as the gentlemen that are in the cockpit with the pilots? Were they from first class? They were sitting in 2A and B. Okay. They are in the cockpit with the pilots. Who's helping them? Is there a doctor on board? Is there a doctor on board, Betty, that's <clears throat> helping you guys? 
You don't have any doctors on board, okay. So you've gotten all the first class passengers out of first class? Taking everyone out of first class? Yeah, she's just saying that they have Darren coach. What's going on, honey? Okay, the aircraft is erratic again. Bobbing very erratically. She did say that all the first class passengers have been moved back to coach. So first class, the cabin is empty. What's going on on your end, Craig? Uh, we contacted air traffic control. They are going to handle this as a confirmed hijacking. So they're moving all the traffic out of this aircraft's way. Okay. Uh, he turned his transponder off, so we don't have a definitive altitude for him. Uh, we're just going by. They, they seem to think that they have him on a primary radar. They seem to think that he is descending. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Lydia? Yes, dear, I'm here. Okay. I have the dispatcher currently taking the current fuel on board. Uh-huh. And uh, we're going to run some profiles. Okay. To see exactly what his endurance is. Okay. Did she, she doesn't have an idea who the other passenger might be in first. Apparently they might have spread something, so it's, it's um, they're having a hard time breathing or getting in that area. What's going on, Betty? Betty, talk to me. Betty, are you there? Betty, Winston, do you think you lost her? Okay, so we'll, let, we'll stay open. We, I think we might have lost her. Okay. After several minutes of attempting to contact American Flight 11, they finally get on the air. 30 minutes. Is that American 11 trying to call? Buddy, we have some claims. Just stay quiet and you'll be okay. We are turning to the airport. And uh, who's trying to call me here? American 11, are you trying to call? Nobody move. Everything will be okay. If you try to make any move, you'll danger yourself and the airplane. Let's stay quiet. SOC, Ray Holland. Ray Holland, Nancy Wyatt, uh, Boston Flight Service. Yes. Okay, we've got the flight attendants on the line here. You do have them on the line? On the plane, yeah. Can you conference them in with us? I have no idea how to do that. If you can help me out. Um, hold, uh, he's getting... Okay. Some information here. Uh, I'm going to read his notes for you. Um, it looks like uh, he's Middle Eastern. He speaks no English. He was in 10B, 10 Baker, right. 9D&G. Speaks no, speaks no English. Uh, the plane's in a rapid descent. Uh, is yeah. Okay, the flight attendants are concerned they don't know what's going on in the cockpit. Are you in con contact with them? No, we're not. That's true. We're, 
we're trying to get in contact with the cockpit. Okay. No, you'll feel like you're okay. Uh, we don't really want to tell her that. Okay, don't. Okay. Okay, got it. Okay, there, um, we're not sure. Um, okay, it looks like there is severe bleeding that, uh, he's keeping them, keeping her on the line. Um, there's severe bleeding. There's a slashed throat. Michael, is that severe, is that slashed throat a flight attendant? No. What's that? Boston Flight Service has another one of the flight attendants on the phone here. Boston Flight Service. You lost okay. it? Yeah, okay, we lost the other one, so I really need okay. to get on the phone with her. Something's wrong. Uh, it's Amy, Amy Sweeney's on the phone. Amy Sweeney? Yeah, she's the number nine. Okay. And he's having trouble talking to her right now. All right, these are the two that are injured. Amy? 25. She started screaming and saying something's wrong, and now he's having trouble. Okay. I think he might be disconnected. Okay, we just lost um, connection. Lost the connection. Yeah. Something's wrong with the airplane? Yeah. In other words, they're not in the cockpit. Okay, they're in the back of the plane. They're in the back of the airplane? Yeah, they're in the back of the airplane. They're not... Oh, the hijackers are in the cockpit. Oh, oh no. Okay, they're in the cockpit. Hey, Craig. Craig. They're saying the hype. They're in the cockpit. Listen, look to see when the next flight to Kennedy is, just in case we're going to Kennedy so we can be ready. target about 20 west of Kennedy and we had a report of an ELT in the area. We're going to, uh, I guess we'll, uh, get some Coast Guard activity up there. Yeah, we lost the track, so. Hey, Boston, this is New York. Uh, what type of aircraft was the American? The 67. ACI watch. Say again, if you lost uh, track of the aircraft, over. Boston has lost track, and on our frequency, we have confirmed that it was a hijack. That's on the tapes. Yeah, New York confirms we've lost the track as well, and we were uh, we got a report of an ELT in the area that the track was in. Kennedy Tower reports. Are you serious? Kennedy Tower reports that there was a fire at the World Trade Center. And that's uh, that's the area where we lost the airplane. Anybody know what that smoke is in Lower Manhattan? I'm sorry, say again? A lot of smoke in Lower Manhattan. A lot of smoke in Lower Manhattan? Out of the uh, top of the World Trade Center building, the major fire. Yeah. At this point, no one outside the aviation world knew what was going on. And even then, 
there were very few, even in that field, that knew what happened for sure. On the ground, reports start flowing in from various emergency responders. We just had a plane crash into upper floor of the World Trade Center, transmit a second alarm, and start relocating companies into the area. Right now. 
Obviously, when the first plane hit, word had not immediately gotten out that this had happened. News stations started picking up that something had happened, but it was all speculation. Some said a small plane, some said it was a missile, but everyone knew from the video playing right in front of their eyes that the World Trade Center was burning, and the world started tuning in. Credit card or other debts? Just log on. Yeah. This just in, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The CNN Center right now is just beginning to work on this story, obviously calling our sources and trying to figure out exactly what happened, but clearly something relatively devastating happening this morning there on the south end of the island of Manhattan. That is, once again, a picture of one of the towers of the World Trade Center. Well, you can see these pictures, it's obviously uh, something devastating has happened. And again, unconfirmed report that a plane has crashed into one of the towers there. We are efforting more information on this subject as it becomes available to you. That was when CNN first cut in, and they did cut in, as you could hear, right in the middle of a commercial. Interviews with people on the street watching this, aviation experts, anyone who could possibly have knowledge on how this could be happening, were being contacted and put it on the air. This is all the way that this was running. Meanwhile, on the ground and behind the scenes, police, firemen, and the dispatchers were going at a feverish pace. Calls were flowing in from both the ground and the people that were trapped in the towers. Firemen, in the face of unheard danger, we're walking up flights of steps at this point trying to reach the fire when most people were trying to get as far away from it as possible. Police on the streets were trying to help the injured, trying to orchestrate their own rescues, and trying to formulate how this could have happened. The dispatchers at this point were rolling faster than anyone could have ever imagined. You could hear in the radio traffic with the fire department that was just played. There were a lot of units asking for a lot of info and even more additional resources. The dispatcher is not simply replying to the units calling him. He's also talking with other dispatchers around him, organizing the subsequent alarms, the ambulances, setting up staging areas, and also likely has a set of supervisors standing right on top of him to gain info to send to their higher-ups, all while being on the phone, calling, making notifications, or fielding questions from other people of what happened. In addition... Imagine, if you can, being a call taker during this time. 
It's a normal, clear September morning. Likely not much past rush hour traffic accidents and other routine calls taking place. Phone lines were acting normally. And then you hear the notification for backed up 911 calls. You look at the queue and the numbers keep going up and up and they don't stop. The first call you take saying, I just saw a plane crash into the World Trade Center would instantly get your adrenaline pumping. Minutes into the madness, still trying to grasp the severity of the situation, the second plane hits. You have a second plane into the other tower of the tower of the train set of major fire. Crawford David, uh, Marine 6 advising a second plane into the World Trade Center, okay? Marine 6, that's the other tower. That's the second tower of the World Trade Center, okay? Okay. 
our Broadway and Maiden Lane. Just to have the MCC and have our, our personnel be security at this location. The MCC And I'm, I'm requesting that at this location. You got two buildings on fire here. Okay, 
this time as I was watching the smoke billowing out of now both of the towers that I wondered if my own center was experiencing any additional problems. I called work to see if they needed any extra people. Surprisingly, no. Just like most other places not directly affected by the planes, everyone sat glued to their TV, all staring in disbelief at what was being broadcast in real time, at home, at work, in schools. This meant there were very few people calling the police in Nashville and really almost any other city. A reporter from New York ABC affiliate Channel 7 is just setting up when this happens. Take two. Take two and two, one. This is as close as we can get to the base of the World Trade Center. You can see the firemen assembled here, the police officers, FBI agents, and you can see the two towers. A huge explosion now, raining debris on all of us. We better get out of the way! The fire department, as you heard, was standing right next to the reporter when this happened. They started making their calls on the radio at this point. Tower two, tower two. The South Tower, major collapse. 
Something that is bone-chilling to hear as a dispatcher. Amazingly, this is not from a firefighter. Can anybody hear me? I'm a civilian. I'm trapped inside of one of the fire trucks underneath the class that just happened. Stand by. There's people close to you. I can't breathe much longer. Save me. I'm in a camping truck. Hey, person transmitting the Mayday. Field come. 
a ladder one, two, four. Are you previously assigned to one of those boxes? Negative. We picked them up as a firm, but we were uh, acting uh, ladder five. There's people all over the place. Sixteen hundred nine one one calls were placed from either in or directly around the towers. All of those nine one one calls have been recorded and released, but the callers' voices have been removed out of respect for their families. Though portions of two calls have been released, but only for the trial of the lone surviving terrorist, Zachariah Musawi, who was currently serving six life sentences without parole for his role in organizing this attack. The first of these calls is from Kevin Cosgrove. I'm sure there was notification from the emergency department. What's the telephone number you're calling? The room is seen. You can do any two or four or one, 
Yeah, come on, man. Okay, you have everything, so I know you do, but it doesn't seem like you need to have lots of people up here. I understand. And then you go out in the building, and you're going to up on the top. Smoke rises, you can leave there, go on the floor, we're in a window. And then you have to be in green now. Can't see. Okay. Just try to hang it there. I'm going to save it. It's easy to use for you. Get an air-conditioned building. What the hell happened? Okay, I'm still here. He's just trying to find the parking trying to get to you. They're gonna kill like it. Okay, try to pop down so you can preserve your oxygen, okay? Try to try to okay, God, the blow you in from the left. Anybody else want to try in here? We young men, we're not ready to die. I am too. How the hell are you going to get my ass down? I need oxygen. They're going to They have a lot of apparatus on the team. You guys are zero, I can't wait. You get them in from all over. They're in from Jersey. I don't believe you. Mine's high school. I must have called about a dozen times already. C-O-S-T-R-O-V-E. Yeah. My wife thinks I'm all right. I called and said I was leaving the building. I was fine. I am. Bang. At the end of that call was when Tower 2 collapsed. He was 46 years old. The only other call that was released for the trial was from Melissa Doy. It's a little over a four-minute excerpt of a 24-minute call. This is that call. Very hot. Ma'am, ma'am. Very hot. We're all the way on the other side of Liberty. And 
Did you just turn the lights off? No! No, the lights are off! Okay, good. Now, everybody stay calm. You're doing a good job. Please! Ma'am, listen. Ma'am, listen. Everybody's coming. Everybody knows. Everybody knows what happened, okay? Yeah. But don't worry. They have to take time to come up here. You know that. you got to be very careful. very hot. I understand. you got to be very, very careful how they approach you, okay? All right? So when they come up here, it won't be worse than it is. Now, you stay calm. It's so how many people where you're at right now? There's like five people here with me. All up on the 83rd floor? 83rd floor. With five people. Five patients. Everybody's having trouble breathing? Everybody's having trouble breathing. Some people are worse. And some people are unconscious. Everybody's awake? So far, yes. But it's listen, listen. Everybody's awake? Yes, so far. Conscious. And it's very hot there, but no fire, right? I can't see. No, no. It's high. Hot, very hot. No fire for now, and no smoke, right? No smoke, right? Of course there's smoke! Ma'am, ma'am, you have to stay calm. There is smoke! I All can't right. breathe! Okay, stay calm with me, okay? I understand I you. think there is fire, because it's very hot. Okay. It, it's very hot everywhere on the floor. Okay. I know you don't see it, and I know, but we, I'm going to document, I'm documenting what you say, okay? And it's very hot. I see no fire, but you see smoke, right? It's very hot. I see, I don't... Okay. See any air anymore? Okay. All I see is smoke. Okay, dear. I'm so sorry. Hold on, one. Stay calm with me. Stay calm. Please. Now, listen, listen. The call is in. I'm documenting. I'm gonna let them. Hold on, one second, please. I'm stay gonna die, No, 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 no. Say your. I'm gonna die. Ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. Say your prayers. And we're not. I'm we're gonna. gonna die. We're gonna think positive because you gotta help each other get off the floor. I'm now. Stay calm, stay calm, stay calm, stay calm. You're doing a good job, ma'am. You're doing no, a good job. You're it's doing so hot. I'm burning up here. Okay. If you don't, the floors is hot and everything is hot. They're all their deaths. When you go up high, you, you get too close away from the smoke. Okay. I know you know. Hold on a second. 83rd floor, three people trapped. Very hot on the 83rd floor. Three people trapped. Having trouble breathing. Very hot. Wait, wait, we hear voices. Hello, ma'am? The dispatchers tasked with talking to these victims were literally helpless in these situations. There was simply nothing that could be done other than try to bring some level of reassurance and calm to the people trapped. One of the things that is hardest for dispatchers is knowing that at some point or at many points in your career, there will be people that, no matter how or what you do, you won't be able to help them. This was the case in most of these calls placed that day. I put out a couple questions in various 911 groups asking other dispatchers what their day was like, no matter what city they were working in that day. 
These are some of their responses. I was working in the Toronto Comm Center teaching a class of brand new 911 call takers. It was their first day. We watched CNN in disbelief. We watched the Toronto Dispatch Center and Toronto officers go into heightened security mode due to the unknowns. It was surreal and frightening. As instructors, we tried to answer our students' concerns while having very limited info ourselves. To give them credit, every one of our new call takers returned for day two of training. Charlene Matthews. I was at my desk as one of the ECC administrators when the first plane hit. Went to the break room to watch the TV and saw the second plane hit. And at that point, I turned around and started making calls, seeing if we could get an officer posted at the ECC. Then it was all about checking in with on-duty folks to be aware. The phones were so quiet that day. We had an employee who had called out sick that day, but she called in asking to come to work because her dad worked in the second tower and she didn't want to be home alone if they called her. Ultimately, he had missed his bus or subway and wasn't in the towers, but it was hours before she found out. Some employees self-reported. Many called to see if they were needed. ECC folks are always amazing. Erica Wilson. I was working in central New Jersey. We had ambulance task force staged and ready to accept the large amount of patients that we believed would be transported by ferry to us. The local hospitals updated bed counts and were ready to accept patients. We did not get a single patient because the towers collapsed. It was eerily quiet and all we could do was listen to FDNY and NYPD all boroughs on the radio as they screamed for help. Every single open 911 cell call we got was possibly someone trapped. It was such a helpless feeling. We also had a large population of people that worked there and spent days and weeks entering them missing into NCIC. Karen Well Magnin. I was working in Canada and they put us all on lockdown immediately. No one was allowed to leave as they were landing large planes at small airports, concerned about who was on them and also didn't know if some of our landmarks were also a target. We wanted to load up on a bus and head to New York City just seven hours away to help, but we're told no. Our hearts sank for our USA neighbors and we felt so helpless. Andrea Gaynor. I was working 911 in Oklahoma. Things got crazy here. Fights in the street waiting to get gas because it would all be gone by the end of the day. We received numerous calls about it. Calls wanting to know if all the planes were accounted for. It was a day I will never forget. Dale Jones Griffin. As for me, getting to work and just driving in was different. Before then, around shift change, our gates would remain open so employees could come and go more easily. The gates were closed. Additional security was brought up to cover all entrances, in which they were thoroughly checking IDs to make sure no one with ill intent was let inside the building. I expected the night to be slow and relatively uneventful. I was wrong. This event that for weeks, months, and even years brought out the best in everyone volunteering to help and 
showing concern for their fellow Americans. But that afternoon, directly after the towers fell, every low-life scum with the slightest beef with anything called in threatening to do the same thing in other places. Bomb threats were commonplace that day. Threats on the government, on police officers, even almost dispatchers were made without a second thought. These pieces of filth were taking advantage of a terrible situation. We stood outside after work, talking extra long that night about the calls we took, about the events that had taken place in New York and other places, about what we thought our families would do without us if something like this had happened to us. None of us knew it at the time, but everyone working that day at any agency in any role changed a little. People of all walks of life changed that day. Photojournalist David Hanshu was nearby when all of this started to happen. In an interview with NBC News, he stated, I saw this big red fire truck, so I started following him. These are firefighters I've covered for years, and they were waving to me when they drove by. There were 11 firefighters on Rescue 1 that morning. All 11 of them died September 11th. They were in their own hearse going to their own funerals. They just didn't realize it yet. The dispatcher talking to Melissa Doy before the phone line went dead was asked to call her mother on a three-way call so Melissa could tell her one last time that she loved her. The phones were not equipped to do that. Melissa passed along her mother's name and phone number and asked if she could pass along one last message. Later that night, the dispatcher called Melissa's mother and relayed the message. Tell my mother that I love her and that she's the best mom in the whole world. In total that day, 2,763 people were killed during the collapse of both towers. 2,192 civilians, 343 firefighters, and 71 law enforcement officers, as well as all the passengers and crew of the airplanes, which included 147 civilians and 10 hijackers. This episode is dedicated to the bravery and ultimate sacrifice given by each first responder that day, as well as each and every police, fire, medic, and 911 dispatcher still on duty today. The both courage and ongoing strife you have to exhibit and endure every day makes every one of you nothing short of a hero. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and share with your friends, family, and any first responders you may know. Give us a nice review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and come by and have a chat with us on Facebook on the Music City 911 Podcast Discussion Group, or on Twitter or Instagram, where you can find us listed at Music City 911. And finally, consider supporting the show by going to www.patreon.com slash Music City 911. My name is Paige, and I'm the host of Reverie True Crime. Reverie means to daydream, but even daydreams can become nightmares. Come join me 
and get lost in horrific reverie about true crimes and eerie events. Reverie True Crime Podcast, available wherever you stream your favorite podcasts.